All right, Alexander, let's talk about the state of politics in the UK. Uh, it's looking bad, I guess, for every party, it seems. And uh, the last I, I heard, Rishi Sunak is, is also under fire, and uh, his position is not looking too stable either. Things seem to be a bit of a mess in, in Scotland as well. What uh, what is going on in the UK? I'm going to say this: it's a peer, it's it's simultaneous stagnation and decay, and it's becoming noticed, by the way, increasingly widely around the world. I I was reading a rather interesting piece about Britain, written by um, an Indian, a former Indian diplomat, M. K. Badrakuma, and he said that more almost than any other country in the world at the moment, even more than the US or Germany or wherever, Britain is essentially now a uniparty system with the, all the big parties basically all belonging to the same political class, all of them supportive of the same policies. The level of difference on issues is microscopic, but at the same time, none of them really possesses much support or confidence amongst the people here. And it's true. Now, there's been a kind of economic stabilisation since, you know, the trust Quateng debacle. But it's a stabilisation which I think nobody really believes in. Inflation in Britain, headline inflation, remains in double-digit figures. Food price inflation is extremely high. Rishi Sunak seems to have achieved a certain stabilisation within the Conservative Party, but it is, in my opinion, only... Um, it's, it's not really very deep. One thing that's helping him is that the Labour Party seems to be in an even worse shape. Um, Keir Starmer, who's the Labour leader, has um, catastrophically bungled his attack on Sunak. I mean, he could have attacked Sunak on the economy, on inflation, on uh, foreign policy, on all kinds of things. He came up instead with an absolutely bizarre attack through attack ads, claiming that Sunak was somehow soft on sex offenders who had carried out sexual attacks on children. Nobody understood where that came from. It came out of nowhere didn't make, make any kind of sense. Um, and that's already provoked some pushback. And also reminders that um, Starmer himself was for many years the head of the big prosecution service in Britain, the Crown Prosecution Service. And when he was Crown Prosecutor, well, he wasn't perhaps entirely distinguished in pursuing these types of sex offenders himself. So it was, a, it was an extraordinary own goal. And so we have a situation where we have an unpopular government, but where the opposition, the Labour opposition, is losing traction. And to give a sense of how much that has been so, when Liz Truss resigned, Labour had a lead of about 30% over the Conservatives. I mean, it was a huge lead. I, I thought at the time that there was no conceivable way the Conservatives could recover. Well, I don't think they have recovered, 
but the Labour has lost ground and apparently that lead is now around between 10, 11, 12, 13 percent. You can see it's fallen incredibly. And all of this coming on top of a political crisis in Scotland. The Scottish National Party is now in, has been rocked. Um, Nicola Sturgeon, who was, you know, the latest victim of the Zelensky curse, has stepped down. Her husband has been arrested uh, uh, as part of an investigation into financial uh, dealings, the financial dealings of the party. There's been suggestions that money has gone astray. Other people within the SNP, the Scottish Nationalist Party, have also been arrested. Sturgeon's successor is not someone who seems to be particularly popular in the party. All of these parties, the Conservative Party, the Labour Party, the Scottish Nationalist Party, they all seem to have very same ideas on most things. The Liberal Party, do you remember them? They seem to have similar ideas as well. Nobody seems to pay any attention to them. One senses that, as I said, we're in a state of decay and everybody now is waiting for the alternative to appear, which sooner or later it must do, because nothing looks convincing anymore. Who or what is this alternative? Or, or we don't know. We don't know. This is the it's problem. Just like this, is, this is the only thing we can hope for. But as I said, I, I've never known a time when people in Britain are in such under such extreme financial pressure. We talk about a cost of living crisis. I should say that in the big economies of the West, I think Britain perhaps has the worst inflation problem, and that means you know fastest biggest fall in living standards. It's worse than in the United States. It's worse than in Germany, for example, or France. But the political class seems to have no ideas about how to deal with this. They're just drifting along. And as I said, they're not able to come up with even intelligent critiques about this. So one must assume that something is going to give because you come across discontent from every side. But we just don't know what it is going to be, whether it's going to be Farage coming back, you know, with a, you know, leading the Reform Party or something of that kind, or whether there will be a split on the left. That That's beginning to look a little, little more likely. Jeremy Corbyn is now talking about standing as an independent there's been an attack by the Labour leadership on one of his um, major former lieutenants, a, a, a Labour MP called Diane Abbott, who um, might also break away. Who's to say? So there might be a challenge from the left, more plausibly, as I said, a challenge from the right. In Scotland, there might be a new party again. There's a party called Alba, led by the former leader, of the SNP, Alex Salmond. We'll see what happens. But this this doesn't look to me like a stable situation for the long term. I've never known a situation where, as I say, all the parties are almost indistinguishable from each other, all look exhausted. Reports of corruption on every side, corruption within the SNP, lots of reports of corruption 
within the Conservative Party as well. One cabinet minister has had to resign over bullying allegations. It's difficult to imagine that this can continue for very much longer without some kind of challenge being made. Yeah, but they're still funding Ukraine, aren't they? Absolutely. That's, <laughs> that's still the all one, in on Ukraine. That's the one thing that they're all agreed about. That's where is it all agreed about? That, in my opinion, Ukraine has become the one point of coherence within the political class. It's one reason why they stick with Ukraine so rigidly, because they can always attack anybody who comes out and challenges them by saying that you're not 100% behind us on Ukraine and you are somehow a Putinist. So they could say that about Farage, they could say that about Corbyn, they could say that about Alex Salmond in Scotland. Remember Alex Salmond uh, um, at one point hosted a programme on RT. So they can do that. And if all of these people, you know, back off and say, well, no, no, actually I condemn what the Russians have done in Ukraine, I'm as much as opposed to the Russians as you are, then that becomes a trap because at that point you start sounding like the uni party. So you can actually see how focusing on Ukraine serves a kind of political purpose. may not do anything for the country, but you can see how from their point of view it might actually work in narrow political terms. Well, Ukraine has definitely uh, been very, very damaging and detrimental to the to the health of the of the UK. I Absolutely. Mean, it's, well, it's done a lot of damage to to, to the country, and, and yet they stick with it. Absolutely. The most extraordinary thing about it, and the thing that I find I'm you know absolutely amazing myself, is what it has done to the state of the British Army. I mean, you know, they've lost a tenth of their tanks, and that's, you know, a tenth of their operational tanks. And we only had about 150, and now we send 14 of them <laughs> to Ukraine. But that's the least of it. I mean, we sent it, we, we've given up all our, all our self-propelled guns, apparently. <laughs> we've given up, you know, vast amounts of our ammunition. Uh, we have no industrial facilities to replace any of this. We're in the midst of a huge financial crisis, though it's most unlikely we can rebuild the factories and find all the machine tools and the workers to get ourselves back up and running again. And um, I think we discussed in an earlier programme that there was a report that the US was worried that um, the British military is no longer fit for purpose. It's now fallen below the level even of a middle-ranking military power. And that if everything goes right, then in about five years, five years, if there's a military crisis, we might be able to cobble together about 25,000 men to intervene somewhere or other, which is about the size of the force with which Ukraine is defending Bakhmut. <laughs> so that gives you a sense of how decayed our military has become as we give everything that we have to Ukraine. Yeah. And, and you mentioned the financial side of things. 
you know, the sanctions, the sanctions war against Russia has really, really hurt the, uh, the economy of, of Britain. More than people, much more than people understand, because obviously there's the inflation yeah. crisis, which is a huge problem. But um, the, the, the other thing to understand about Britain is that we've neglected our industrial base for many, many years. So uh, the, the major growth drivers have been the have been oil, obviously, you know, the North Sea. That's been a declining resource. And the other is the financial services economy in London, which overspills into the British property market. Now, if you want to build your economy around financial services, you have to be open for business. <laughs> you can't be seen sanctioning people, which is, of course, exactly what we have done. We've sanctioned the Russians to the point of oblivion. And, of course, it is leading by all accounts, in, to a crisis of confidence in the trustworthiness of our financial system. So people are pulling out, as they were inevitably going to do. It's not something that is much talked about anymore, but the situation where the City of London you know, was one of the great financial centres is now beginning to look like it's passing away forever and much faster than has been talked about or reported or discussed in, in, in the British media anymore. I'm hearing all kinds of reports about this. What trustworthiness? I mean, well, we have sanctions is one thing. They're, they're mm -hmm. stealing stuff. They're confiscating yeah, stuff. Look at what they did to Abramovich. Yeah. And I, I'm not even like a huge fan of Abramovich. I don't no. even know that much about him, but... To be quite honest, he wasn't even that good of a, of a friends with Putin. I mean, they, well, they didn't wasn't. really like each other at all. No, I mean, they, they did not like each other. But but they what they did to that guy, yeah. I mean, that was just wrong. You know, they, they took away his, his football club. Absolutely. Well, what is incredible? All the money he invested in Chelsea, all, in, in the entire neighborhood, they, they, they just stole it from him. Absolutely. And, and everything well, else they stole from him. And also, also the UK, on a final note, the UK is also sanctioning um, residents in other countries, like what they did in Cyprus, yes. by going after the lawyers of yes. Abramovich, who are Cypriot citizens, yes. and they're sanctioning them. So, I mean, the, the UK has completely destroyed any trust in their financial, legal system. There, there's, there's nothing anymore. Everyone Absolutely. that's outside of the collective West that has any money is not going to touch the city of London. You're they have to be crazy to touch the city of you're, London. You're, you're, you're absolutely correct about this. And I'm, I'm getting reports that people from you know, the Gulf are pulling, pulling out. People from the Far East are pulling out. I mean, we're now also intent because of you know, this thing with Russia. We're also now in bad terms with China. But, you know... People from that part of the world have no reason to to stay here any longer because, as I said, they they, they as you rightly say, trust has gone. And uh, you know, on the subject of Abramovich, you're absolutely right. He he and Putin are not friends. They never have been. I mean, Abramovich has been lived most of his time outside Britain. He did a outside, outside Russia, rather. He he did a kind of penance to try and get on Putin's good graces by agreeing to serve as a governor of one of the far eastern regions but that never really sorted anything out between 
the two men. It turned out last year that if he was friends with any political leader in the former Soviet bloc, the person he was friends with was Zelensky. It's almost completely overlooked that he was one of the people, Abramovich was, who encouraged the negotiations between Ukraine and Russia, which, if you remember, were taking place in March last year, which ultimately failed. And when the British first started going after Abramovich, the Ukrainians told the British to back off him. But of course, the British couldn't do that because, you know, he's Russian, he's too visible, all of that. So they went after him, as you said, they seized his football club and he built up Chelsea. I mean, I remember what Chelsea, I mean, I'm not a huge football person, but I remember that Chelsea was not in a good way when he took it over. He built up the club, he invested huge amounts of money in Britain, he did all kinds of things, and it's all been seized from him. And all on a completely false narrative about him, which nobody in Britain seems to be at all interested in re-examining. And of course, people around the world see that, they draw their own conclusions. They remember that Britain seized the gold of the Venezuelan central bank, which had been kept in Britain. They see that it isn't just Russia. They see that it can be done to anybody. And whereas the whole point of the City of London in the old days was that it was open for business to everyone, now they see no reason to trust it anymore because it clearly isn't. Let's not even get into Assange. <laughs> a, a, a country in decay, yeah. A country in decay. The, 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 I mean, it's a, it is a real tragedy because, as, as we said so many times, I mean, you can go back to 2016 and you can see, you know, after the Brexit referendum, that there was a policy that could have been followed, which could have led in another direction. And a, a, well read, a well-led Britain could have been a stabilising factor in the international system, as it has been in the past. I mean, there'd be periods in the past when the British acted as a force of restraint because they wanted to keep trade flows open. They could come along and said to the Americans, hold on, you know, this rush towards sanctions is not a good idea. They could have done all of those things. They could have been, you know, they, they've acted as a force for restraint on military support to Ukraine. They did that in Korea. The British tried to keep the Americans under some restraint during the Korean War. They refused to participate in the Vietnam War, which played an important role in sort of calming the tensions between the superpowers at that time. Former British foreign ministers like Alec Douglas Home had good relations with the Russians. We've thrown that all away. We've instead pursued this extreme position. The Uni Party, as I said, has taken control. You can see why, personally, for them, individually, it works at the moment to pursue this anti-Russian policy. But for the country, it's been a disaster. And, of course, it compounds the greater disasters that we are seeing from the way in which 
policy is being conducted altogether. All right, we'll leave it there, thedoran.locals.com. We are on Rockfin, Rumble, Odyssey, BitChute, and Telegram. And go to the Duran shop, 10% off. Use the code, good day. Take care.